This is Abroad in Education, a podcast where I unpack the international suitcase by focusing on EdPats and their experiences within education. I'm your host, Tiffany Lachelle. All around the world, so fulfilling, so fulfilling. Yeah, stamps on box Today's episode is the first within a series that I've titled the EdPat Literature Review. Threaded through the various episodes within season three, you'll hear the voices of black researchers, bloggers, authors, and others who have written some form of literature that centers notions of the EdPat, those who work within various ventures within education outside of their home countries. Today's episode is the first within a series that I've titled the EdPat Literature Review. Threaded throughout the various episodes within season three, you'll hear the voices of Black researchers, bloggers, authors, and others who have written some form of literature that centers the notion of the EdPat. And EdPats are those who work within various ventures within education outside of their home countries. In this episode, you'll hear from Johnny Jackson, a doctoral student in educational leadership and administration at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. He's also the diversity and equity supervisor at Marion City School District. His research article, Meditating Gunrunner Speaking, Part 1, A Black Male Journey Teaching in South Korea, was published in Educational Studies, a journal of the American Educational Studies Association. I had an amazing conversation with Johnny about his experience teaching in South Korea and also his lived experience, which inspired many sections of the article. But without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Johnny Jackson. Today, we're going to talk about your piece, Meditating Gunrunner Speaking, Part 1, A Black Male Journey Teaching in South Korea. So before we start talking, I want to mention that I actually stumbled across your article when I was working on my literature review. Uh And my advisor suggested that, you know, if you ever find someone's work who resonates with you, um, actually reach out to the person. So you were one of the first people I reached out to because I enjoyed your article so much. (laughs) For sure, for sure. I remember our conversation. It was a I was actually flattered, one, that someone had read the piece and then wanted to talk about the piece. Yeah. It was, uh, it was very flattering. Definitely. Yeah. So before we actually get into the article, uh, let's talk a little bit about you and mm-hmm. um, how you even ended up pursuing your position in South Korea. Yeah. So I was, um, I was finishing up my master's at the time at the University of Finley which is a small school in Northwest Ohio. And uh, I mean, it just happened this way where I had applied for a Fulbright scholar position. I didn't get that, but at the same time that that was happening, uh, our university made a, a relationship with a Korean university in South Korea. So um, that allowed me to introduce myself to uh, this particular like Korean educational delegation. And from there, it just rolled that way. Um, They sent me uh, an email asking me if I wanted to come and teach there. And I was like, ooh, ooh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Way, way across the world. Uh, But after some good thoughts and 
talking to my people. Um, I decided to apply for the position, got accepted, and I moved to Korea in, let's see, the summer of 2009. Okay. So, okay. And see, it's interesting because even in the article, you talk about some, I'll call them spiritual components of your journey, where even the fact that, you know, South Korea was an option, your sister's name was Korea. Definitely. Um, I kind of relate that back to uh, Black women naming practices, you know, just like being able to give you a direction in your in your life. Is all about your name in a way. Mm. So my mom is fascinating because my mom was reading about the Korean War during the um, right before she gave birth to my sister Korea, and uh, she thought that Korea was like a really beautiful name, and it was like a, almost like a tribute to the the struggle because uh, my mom is always kind of relating the black struggle to the struggle to other people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's very much like a. One might say like a spiritual calling to go there because that was also, I have two sisters. I'm close to both of them, but I'm more close to my eldest sister, Korea. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's, it's interesting because when you wrote this article, my understanding is you had been in South Korea, you had come back and then you went back again, which is Mm -hmm. when the article stemmed. So your initial journey (laughs) to South Korea Mm -hmm. Um, you received an email, you know, someone gave you some information about the position at this time, Mm -hmm. you were mentioning that you were already in possession of a business degree. You know, you were in the market Mm -hmm. looking for a job. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, this is the historical moment of, you know, you have Barack Obama coming into office, but you also have a market that is, we're in a recession. Mm -hmm. So I'm applying for all these jobs and I'm not getting any traction. And I received this email, as you were saying, and uh, they offered me a job and I decided to take it because the economics of it, I was going to get paid a pretty good salary. Uh, also, they give me my own apartment and then there was like a lot of vacation. So the the type of agency that was there was like amazing. I was like, why wouldn't I take this opportunity as a black man who has a lot of education, but no one was really checking for me at the time. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was just like a, it was a perfect opportunity for me to get some international experience to understand my value. Cause that's the other piece about getting a job like that. It, it gave me an understanding of my worth and my value after having so much education. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I and, love I, and I'll relate that to not just my own thing. It's like when I was there, I was at such a like renaissance moment because you start like 2008, as I started reading, is like a, a moment that there are a lot of black folk moving abroad. Like So like that is like, I feel like I was a part of a renaissance. There was lots of us. It's not like we were, and this was before brothers and sisters in Korea started. I think that started in like, like 2010 maybe, but there were lots of us there, like teaching and learning and entertainment, um, building ships, uh, as, I mean, all types of different ways that we're there being in the world and 
doing different things. So I always feel like I was a part of uh, a larger movement of folks that were doing that. Yeah. And historically, I think there are there are also a lot of cultural moments like that for Black folks that yeah. move abroad and they create community. And see, you're you're absolutely right, and it's interesting that you're talking about it as if it's in the past because. You know, I think some of the things that you're mentioning as far as it being a renaissance experience, it's still happening now, but the numbers are getting larger, of course. And I think many of the resources, as far as like the Facebook groups that you're mentioning, those things are happening. But yeah, it's, I mean, although 2009, I agree, that's probably the beginning of when many of the droves started going out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because I think like tra- this is before travel noir. Yep. Um, I think of like even a space like it's called diversity abroad that really focuses on you know the undergraduate experience of getting students of color activated. Yeah. Like I always I think that without having that Renaissance moment two thousand eight two thousand nine like you don't we don't have what the what we're seeing now is like. The most ex- one of the most exciting trends in migration amongst you know young black millennials, creating their own businesses, being influencers on Instagram or Facebook, um, doing entrepreneurial work. Like I'm excited about that. Just being a part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you're not even just part of the conversation. You're creating the conversation. That's real. Hence this yeah. article that we're about to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the article because I, you know, one of the things that I find interesting about um, academic research and just being in the space of higher ed pursuing a doctoral degree, many people will claim that there is a particular formula as far as what research looks like. I find that there is a little pushback as far as internalizing research. And then also Mm. like looking at stories as valid research. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was so connected to your article, because this is basically your story and you have used research to Mm. kind of define and describe and like situate your story amongst other stories. So that's why I'm like, I am completely in love with this article because it's almost like reading a book in certain sections. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, so... Of course, I live in Korea, but after that, I entered the, my PhD program, and a lot of that has to do because I did live in Korea, and I had the teacher experience, the travel experience, and then also the co- more coordinating study abroad experience there. Um, so there's this conference called uh, Bergamo, and Bergamo is for some of the more radical work in educational research like you think about like black feminist studies or uh, critical race studies or um, educational research that thinks about uh, gender and race and class and some of those things that are how people come to the work Mm -hmm. because I think one of the principles of I mean really my research is to think about how the autobiographical it's always in conversation with whatever we're doing in our professional lives, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so I present, I did a performance at Bergamo and I, I did like 
like eight to 10 different scenes of my travel experiences. And I was talking about like what it meant to be a black male in different spaces, whether it's China or Thailand or Korea or Brazil. And like uh, one of the professors, uh, this Filipino professor, uh, just mad amazing professor that was at my university at the time, but also was the, the editor at the Journal of Educational Studies. And after the presentation, he was like, why don't you uh, write out your abstract and write maybe like the first, I think, four pages of a piece, send it to me, and let's get this piece published. Oh, wow. I called it The Meditating Gun Runner. Um, he said, let's get it published in the Journal of Educational Studies. And I was like, that's cool. Like, let's do it. So if as a graduate student, there, like you were saying, like there's kind of like a formula for what we think educational research is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I go, I collect this data. It has to be quantifiable and um, it has to be objective and all these things. And like my training is not that. Part of it, I understand that realm of educational research. But my, um, my research and my training is actually going against the grain of that. Mm-hmm. Things are very much subjective. Um, when I'm kind of quantifying, part of the data is the autobiographical in relationship to community yeah. and how research can be generated from the communities at the margins. I black folks who have been incarcerated or black folk who um, are migrants to America or Korea, black folks who live above or below the poverty line. Like I think that black people as a point of data and understanding is a long tradition in black research too. I'm not doing anything new in the article, as you were suggesting, like I'm trying to be in relationship with a lot of folks Mm -hmm. like W.B. Du Bois or Angela Davis or Franz Fanon. So that is why I'm using those folks because I'm trying to push myself to be attached to them, but then also go further in the future and think like, how can I do a little bit more radical research or, uplifting the black radical tradition as they call it so then look because i think you're this is a good segue into kind of talking about some of the voices that you brought in or at least you you brought through the article so um Mm -hmm. your (laughs) your phrase taking the pin black Black. yes Mm. (laughs) tell us about some of the voices that are coming through in the article some of the voices um well, the name, The Meditating Gun Runner, I got that from Audre Lorde and her piece, The Use of the Erotic. I read that piece and I was like, wow. I was like, I didn't know that people could write like this. Like, I didn't know because my, I hadn't been trained like that in undergrad or in, you know, in my master level classes. I got that training when I was in, you know, my doctoral level classes. So I was like, wow. She has this line in her piece that she says, like, what does it mean to be a poetic revolutionary, a meditating gun runner? They exist. For instance, what do you mean a poetic revolutionary, a meditating gun runner? Well, they exist. They exist in this and room. And she says it, like, the whole crowd goes crazy. And I was like, hmm. In the same way. So that was like, uh, I want to be able to take a line out of someone's piece and turn it into a whole article Mm. so that was my inspiration Mm. it was like um 
I think Jay-Z did this. Lil Wayne did this. Drake does it. A lot of rappers do that. A lot of rappers will take a line from a good song and then they'll turn it into a, into whole, a song. whole song. Yeah. 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 But that's what I was really trying to do, trying to distill something that was so powerful and inflective on me. Um, some of the other voices that reign true is like my dissertation advisor, Denise Telefero Brazil, and her her theoretical framing, uh, Critical Race Carreri. Yeah. It begs us. I mean, it really... I mean, to be real, like she's writing to black women particularly, but me as her student, I was just like, well, there are certain things in there that me as a black male, like it, it holds true to our lived experiences as well. So this idea that reflecting on the past, looking at the future and being present when all of those different uh, temporal positions is very much important to the black male lived experience, both abroad and in the U.S. Yeah. So that's one of one of the voices that I'm trying to use that theoretical framing and, and use it in a way that I can kind of speak to myself, but speak to you know people like you, Tiffany, and other folks that um, have these experiences that they're trying to explain, but the canon and graduate school don't always give them the language that they need to mm-hmm. express themselves. Um, so those are two like really big theories. And then Franz Fanon um, and his work around wretched of the earth and black, black, uh, black skin, white mass. Yeah. Those reading his work made me think about what he calls like the epidermalization of whiteness, how it, how you, people, people of color particularly internalize those messages of why the system paints us as inferior. And so how do we like, how do we reject that? How do we reject and disrupt? One piece is like, like you're saying, taking the pen black, using people to prop up. So that's why you see, I kind of got going a little tangent when I'm writing. Yeah. But like, I started like saying like WB Du Bois and Angela Davis, Robin D.G. Kelly, because what I'm doing is I'm trying to say that I can't do this without ancestors. I can't do yeah, this without yeah. people me up. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I'm trying to be in conversation. I mean, most of this piece is really me trying to be in conversation with people that I want to model myself after as a, um, as a scholar and activist and writer and thinker. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things that you're doing, because it's almost like, you know, aside from the the um, meditative pieces, which you've storied, but the other part is really like you're in conversation with the ancestrals and, and the scholars and different things, because the way that you use one idea to talk to another idea, which mm-hmm. connects back to your experience, like, yeah, the way that you organize everything it's like oh my goodness it's almost poetic I mean it's 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 Mm. amazing so I think yeah and one of the things that you were just saying as far as you know the language and you know not feeling like you were um, prepared in higher education and just that whole notion of building vocabulary that is a good segue into talking about one of your meditations let's do it Okay, this is uh, Meditation 2, Korea and Black Coffee, in my piece, The Meditating Gun Runner. 
I sat in a coffee shop with three of my Korean students, telling them how naming was important to my family. I had a sister named Korea, like their country. Before I could get out another sentence, Jihae chimed in about naming in her family and the significance it had in passing down Korean tradition. One particular student whose name meant peace in Korean was so in awe of my mother naming my sister Korea that he opened up about not knowing a lot about Black people in America. Over coffee, most of the time Black, and over sweet buns nurtured in cinnamon and butter, these three students and I met for a semester talking about issues of of Korean education, Black civil rights in America, and the reunification of North Korea and South Korea. Korean elementary education jobs have been cut by the M. Young-bak administration. That is the reason our university students were on strike this semester, canceling classes and mobilizing alongside our Korean elementary school university students that had their eye on being the future teachers of Korea. Our coffee shop was located a block from our school. On any given day, we could see the banners that hung protesting the government's job cuts in elementary school education. Jihae glanced over at me, studying me for a second before asking, what is education like for Black people in America? And why are Black people so violent in America? She winced when she said she asked this. She asked me. And I winced too. Then she added, at least what we see in the media here is that Black students don't study hard and Black people are in prison too much. Can you talk about that, Jackson? I drifted off thinking, how exactly do I attack or smooth over a question about media representations of Black people in America? I did not know what to say. Why were Black people so violent, mass incarcerated, blocked out of the American dream? Do we, they study hard? To me, I saw both the American dream of going to college and getting education, but also the American nightmare of being locked out of gainful employment in the job market. That was the reason I came halfway around the world. I leaned back in my seat and I said, you know, I can see why you gather that black people are so violent. After all, the American media portrays us as the nightmare and black men are a large population of American prisons, but the media doesn't often show us police brutality of Black people, systematic racism by banking and loan companies, or systematic racism in schools. To be honest, the shit is a bit more complex for Black people. Shit is a bit more complex than Black people being violent. We ended class at the coffee shop. For the next week, we were to discuss Korean politics, something I knew very little about. As I walked home that evening, I could not help but feel the Korean word for not being able to express yourself to the fullest. One of my neighbor kids approached me as I came to my apartment entrance, chatting about nothing in particular. His friends called out, denoting that I was indeed a Black person. And that's the end of Meditation 2. Thank you so much for reading that. That was absolutely amazing. Yes. Thank you, thank you. So one of the things that I think is amazing about your article is you do a good job talking about, you know, your experience being a black man in South Korea, how you engaged with the community, how you engaged with the students that you worked with. 
Um, and I'm wondering, you know, out of out of everything that you're talking about in this article, what message are you trying to convey to, you know, just the normal person who may be interested in going abroad? Is there anything that was left out of the article that, you know, you were really trying to push forward through writing this piece? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that didn't make the cut is that the black community that I had there was so so powerful. Um, and I wish that in reflection that I could have, I should have noted in my community particularly, there's a certain way that we would get together on Sundays and eat soul food together. Oh, we play spades. Yes. Uh, we would go, you know, go to the club together, go to the go to Pusan and go to um beach together, go to church together. So there there was a certain way that, you know, we were building community that I didn't necessarily talk about in this article. And that's one of the things that I want people to pick up is like my individual experience was so powerful, but the same way that I was building community amongst my black community there in Korea, I also was building community in a way that made like that particular um, meditation that I just read, my students were very comfortable with me. So they, we had this coffee shop meeting and we would talk about all these deep things, but we had a relationship yeah. outside of teaching, me teaching them outside of the coffee shop that I go to church with them. I go to their house and they would invite me to eat with their families. Um, they would teach me Korean, teach me about Korean culture. So there was a way that there, there is that the racism that you face as a, a black person. Anti-black racism is real. But there's also this community perspective of cultural learning that hassle happens. So those are, I hope that people are, one of the takeaways that I even took away is that there's a conflict. There's a conflict of what it means to build community. And sometimes those things work together. Sometimes they're at odds yeah. with each other. And I hope that people see the confliction I have. Because um, you can see at the end of the article, I'm like asking all these questions because I'm still trying to work out how impactful and powerful the experience of being Black in the world is, but then also being a Black expat. You know, this is so interesting because, and I guess I didn't get this before, Although you're talking about your experience in like a international perspective, it really does make me think about like racism in the States, because like you're saying, this anti-blackness, you know, um, white supremacy, like all of these big issues, political issues that we're dealing with now, it is kind of difficult, or at least it's, it's like you're stuck in the middle to say, you know, it's not that because I'm treated a particular way that I hate all of fill in the no. blank because I Not really a- do have some amazing sustainable you know deep past the surface relationships with people who are also part of that blank so I mm-hmm. think maybe I mean maybe this is a conversation and, and, and it's connecting to your thing with language I'm like you know maybe we do have to do some more digging and and really investigating you know what is racism or what are the what are the isms that we've used mm-hmm. to define you know, many of the the political issues that we have, because I mean, similar to what you're saying here, it's a it's a combination of, you know, particular acts 
that can define your experience, but then also being welcomed by people who are creating those acts. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say, but mm-hmm there because <laughs> it is, it is, uh, like, for example, like, I had, like, such an impactful experience in Korea amongst the diasporic Black community from Senegal or Haiti or Jamaica or the U.S. or Canada that what they actually poured into me a lot. Had a lot of folks there that looked out for me. But equally, I had a lot of Korean folks there that looked out for me, um, promoted me, got me jobs, uh, helped me understand the beauty and the importance of Korean language, culture, and history. But what that did is also was like, oh, Korean culture and language and history, I'm getting almost like a master's level experience here. Mm. What also do I know about my own culture and history and languages? So that sent me in a way back to understand myself even more. I think that's what cultural learning does is that when you're learning in a different culture, you reflect on like how much how much cultural fluency do you have in your own mm. and how those things are languages, like how we can we can grow fluid at what it means to be African American alongside what it means to be, I don't know, Afro-Argentine or Afro-Brazilian. And that's one of the the um, tensions that this piece caused for me is it caused me to be like, huh. What do I know about this performance around Black internationalism? Well, it has to be in community with other Black internationalists. Right. Du Bois or Francis Fanon or Angela Davis or um, Audre Lorde. So I'm always thinking that I'm trying to just be in conversation with folks. And that is one thing that brings me into a space. It's like, well, I'm in conversation with myself about what it means to me. So then like, okay, when people, other people read this article, they're like, what does this mean? And I'm like, it means something to me, mm-hmm. but what does it mean for you? Because we need to be in dialogue about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, this is why I'm, I'm really excited to even um, bring in another author, Flynn, who was talking about this solidarity that was happening mm-hmm. in South Korea. And as far mm-hmm. as this notion of, you know, we're not just going to settle with this black inferiority, we're going to start teaching Koreans about what it yep. means to be black or African-American or history and all this stuff on a global scale, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it, that's what's so powerful is like uh, I think it was Flynn that I read the article where Flynn is out of uh, Illinois. Is that mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um where she's writing about the importance of these festivals in Korea. Mm-hmm. And I didn't experience those, the type of festivals that happen. And they're speaking to like diasporic blackness, like the traditions from maybe Jamaica, Haiti, the U.S., Canada, and getting uh, Koreans and all the expat community that are in Korea to learn a lot more about value in black folks and black value in black culture. Um, and as you know, sometimes those things don't work together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a value, value added on black culture, but like 
the black folks that created the culture not necessarily value. Yeah. So it's like, how do we do those things? How do those things like work together? And then bigger questions come to the surface. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and that, that's always the, the tension is trying to get folks to do both of those. So then, um, Johnny, what are what are some of the other topics that we can look forward to as far as, you know, things that are stemming from your research interests? Um, what publications can we look forward to in the near future? Yeah, so um, we're, we, me and one of my co-writers, we dropped, it's called the Afro-Asian Imagination, and it's a reflection on Black Panther. Um, wow, so, oh yeah. That's a, that was an exciting piece to to write because uh, uh, my my um, my co-writer she's uh, white and white American and Korean American and her lived experience in Korea and trying to understand what it means to be Korean Black Panther became significant because there's a, a scene in Busan South Korea where there's like this fight scene and they're there to try to investigate who's out there still in vibranium. Uh, so that is, that was her experience. My experience in Korea is like, I live near Pusan. So to for them to write the script and be in Korea, like I was like, wow, look at black folks in Korea uh, doing their thing once again in the media, right? Wow. So that was very significant for me being someone who I spent my 20s my adulthood 20s in korea and it's such a big impression on me um so her and i in that piece we're reflecting on solidarities trying to understand what are the historical solidarities between um people of african descent people of asian descent um and what one of the things we do is we relate it back to um 1955 and this meeting in indonesia of former Asian and African colonies that were, you know, colonized by the French, the German, the English, Portuguese, the Dutch, and they meet in Bandung, um, Indonesia, to talk about how can they have solidarity going into the future. Hmm. So uh, we call it like the, the Bandung mindset in Indonesia. So we relate it back to, like, well, how do we bring that current how do we bring that, that type of energy around solidarity of people of African descent, people of Asian descent? How do we kind of like do that? And one part is through our imaginations of each other. Amen. How do we imagine each other as whole, as human, as, you know, as uh, taking that into the future? So like that's one of the pieces that we just dropped. And I'm, I'm excited about people reading that and critiquing it and asking questions all that type of thing. Um, uh, there's another piece that we're dropping. Since the meditating gun runner, I've only wrote pieces with people. I've but only I, and that's the like, thing, because I'm like, I that was, was part one. So is there a part two <laughs> or? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think there will be a part two. I'm just trying to figure out, out my aim. It's got to be that solidarity own. piece. Because one of the things that I'm thinking about, you know, with your Black Panther piece, I forgot. First of all, I didn't know that Black Panther was filmed. A piece of it was filmed in Korea. Did not know that. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece, I remember all of the global response 
about mm-hmm. the movie. And when they showed the folks from South Korea, Wakanda forever, I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. People were so hyped. <laughs> yes. And yeah. I just, I didn't even think about it that way. So even situating that in conversation with, you know, like you're saying, the solidarity and then the black internationalism, goodness, this is, I mean, it's huge. You could go in so many different directions because I'm thinking about MLK and Mahatma Gandhi, right? Like that's. So you, you have MLK. And, uh, so Mahatma Gandhi, his connection there, his connection in Cuba, um, you also have uh, other people that are writing his connection in Vietnam and yeah, um, yeah. and how there's that relationship between um, this, uh, the, what does Vincent Harding call it? He calls it the um, liberation theology of Dr. King and other people, but you also have liberation Buddhism and how there's mm. the connection in the 60s and 70s between mm. Buddhists that are for peace and Christians who are for peace and the interfaith relationship that is happening between the groups yeah, um, and how they're influencing each other a lot of times. Um, it's not just like Black American folk influencing the world. It's also they have this big connection. And then you also have folks like the Black Panthers and they call themselves the Korean Panthers uh, these what? North Koreans that have this deep relationship with the Black Panthers what? around liberation. Yeah. Like this, this is this, this is part of my research is understanding the different, like very radical left connections that folks have. So I'm not a historian, but I am kind of um I try to archive the influences that the black radical left tradition has had on folks. Um but then how that black left is influenced by folks abroad as well. I don't even yeah. know what to say. I'm just like yeah, speechless. Yeah, yeah. This is it's absolutely amazing. And of course, yeah. you know, for, for people who are piqued by information, um, yeah. I'm just like, wow, it it's it could be never ending because there's so many things and even Fanon, right? I'm thinking about so many different directions that you could go in with that. But I think that is absolutely amazing. One of the things that I do want to mention, and this is part of the politics of academic research as well, is um, mm-hmm. your article is available, but it is not available for free unless you are a student. <laughs> so I actually, uh-huh. um, yeah, I actually looked on the website and you could get, or at least you can have 24 hour access to this article for $44. Or you could have 30 days to view it for $160. So Man, email not... me. Email, email <laughs> me and let me know if you want to read the article. This is not That's... an open access article. So, well, Before I performed uh, the Meditating Gun Runner, I was not for profit. I was, you know, <laughs> I was performing the piece in a way to inspire myself and other folks in there. So if there is somebody that really wants to read the article, um, hit me up, cuejackson at gmail.com, and I'll send you the article. And, and you know, if you'd like to talk about it as well. Um, and, you know, that I think that that is another conversation to have too is how do we make sure that the knowledge that 
you know, graduate students or black folks get is something that it is open yes, and it's um, open access that we are having these conversations around community that is, uh, they are regenerating and sustaining for us. You know, I'm charged up being able just to talk about this piece because it was, I remember being a graduate student and writing the piece, I was so geeked. So four years, five years later to be able to talk about it and maybe be able to inspire other graduate students or other folks. I mean, that's a part of the process. So people need want it, you know, just send me an email and I'll send it to you. It's not a problem. Dope. All right. Johnny Jackson, we, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you, um, you know, talking about the piece, talking about your future work. I look forward to reading this. I think, like I said in the beginning, there is not a lot of research that has started to open up about the diverse voices within this international space and our experiences abroad and stuff. So I'm glad mm-hmm. to have found your work to even, you know, start the conversation, extend the conversation, you know, expand the conversation. So thank you for being on the podcast today. Abroad Education is created by Tiffany Michelle Smith. Lady Justice, the song that you're listening to, was written and produced by Billionaire Dreams. You can get his Postcards album on SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download your favorite podcast. Let's keep the conversation going and follow me on Instagram at abroad underscore in underscore ed. And you can also access the website at abroadeneducation.com.